You're listening to Cheers Podcast, brought to you by Snoo Snack, the all-natural sleep remedy. Snoo Snacks are made with all-natural ingredients to help you get the best night's sleep the all-natural way. For more information, go to www.snoosnack.com. This is Cheers Podcast. Welcome on this week, my guest, Dr. Ben Sawyer. Cheers. Thanks for meeting up with me here at uh, Third Coast Comedy. Is that what it's called? Third Coast Comedy Club right here in Marathon Village in Nashville, Tennessee. I've been on your podcast for about 15 seconds. I already plugged something. (laughs) We'll see see how many many items and ideas I can plug while I'm on here. This whole podcast is really just a plug for the the lengthy comedy show going on. (laughs) What can you explain to me more what that is? I thought it was just 24 hours, but apparently it's like 100 plus. (laughs) It's 24 hours a day for like eight days, just about. Um, so starting, this was 20, when is this? It's like 2014. Uh, DJ Buckley, a local comic, he actually lives in Murfreesboro. Mm-hmm. Had, a, um, had an insane idea to, uh, to break the Guinness record for longest nonstop cam- comedy show. Okay. At that time, it was like three and a half days, but he just decided to break it for, uh, for, and make it seven days. And so him and Chad Ryden uh, from NashvilleStandup.com got together and made it happen. And mm-hmm. uh, this will be the fourth time that I've been on a show that has broken a Guinness record. Um, this will be the second time I've been on a show that broke a record that I already partially held. <laughs> okay. So we set the first one in 2004. Then we broke that, that record by five minutes the next year for longest stand-up show. By and five minutes? Yeah. Then last year we set the record for longest nonstop comedy variety show. Mm-hmm. And this year we're breaking it by five minutes. So, Is that like a thing? You're just going to try to do it by only five minutes? Uh, let me be clear. It's not me <laughs> that's going to try to do it. <laughs> <laughs> what is Is there like a giant celebration at the end of it? Is like everybody get together at one place? or? Uh, yeah. So everyone will be here when it ends. I think it's Sunday at 10. Uh, nice. You can check the, the website. Mm-hmm. Um, PM or AM? Uh, PM. Uh, but the first year was actually amazing because... Um, the way it works is you can submit your own forms for the record and you have to have mm-hmm. certain things, but you pay a good, a good bit of money, a couple thousand dollars, and they'll actually come out and verify it for you on the spot. Yeah. Otherwise, it takes them a while to get to it, right? Right. So the first year, we actually uh, broke it, and uh, here, I'll do this, just to... <laughs> is that the award? Look at that. Here you have, from the first <laughs> year, the official certification, that, that's 2015, wow. uh, that we broke it. There's a great picture of uh, I think it's me and Joe Kelly, another comic, holding DJ Buckley on our shoulders. <laughs> but the whole the Guinness, the Guinness guy came out and actually uh, in a, like a tuxedo or whatever, like awarded it, yeah. and everybody it was, it was amazing the first year. So Guinness is still a company. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they, they make their money by charging people to break their records. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Has anybody ever attempted that record since, other than Nashville? Yes. No. No. Who would? Who? Would? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Who's like I know what I'll do. Uh, I've got a collaboration of. And the thing is, you can't just, not just anybody can do it. Yeah. So they've got rules so that people don't, don't just say they're talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to have 10 people in the room at all times, which is a, which is a big chore. Yeah. Um, but every comic that's on it has to have had at least 20 paid gigs. Wow. You can do comedy for a long time before you get paid to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so that, yeah. that really, like, weeds down yeah. the number of people who can be on it. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fun and it's kind of insane. Mm-hmm. Like, I... Anyone who knows me probably can tell that I look tired. It's <laughs> because I was here till like 3 a.m. last night and then immediately was like back on stage today at 11.45 oh a.m. Oh, my gosh. But, it's, you know, it's awesome. It's, and it's good because you get the, all that stage time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to do crowd work a lot because you're up. The minimum time you can do is 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. 
And if you do a bunch of sets, you just are tired of listening to your own material over and over again. A lot yeah. of the people in the room are the same people that were there before. Not yeah. always, but you know, some. So anyway, yeah, so it's, it's, it's fun. And it's kind of one of those endurance things that makes you go a little bit mad. But once you gain your sanity back, you feel like you're better for it. Yeah. It's so, one of those things. It's yeah. like a marathon. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Look at me. Oh, yeah, it's like a marathon. <laughs> no, the difference between this and a marathon is that I've done this. <laughs> I don't suspect I'll ever do a marathon. Nice. Yeah, well, so many people do marathons, so this is way more impressive. Um, so <laughs> Thank <does> you. <laughs> <laughs> does anybody ever stop in, like, big names coming through? Because I know there's several in town this weekend. Well, not several, but probably two. Oh, there's a lot of big name comics. I mean, just tonight, I think. Uh, other than know, Ben Bill, Sawyer. Bill Burr. Yeah, other than Ben Sawyer. <laughs> yeah, Ben Sawyer's in town. Um, <laughs> but but you coach everyone probably already knows that. Um, as you all, as as you know, we had a fight through a crowd, like thousands of people outside trying to get in here. Uh, yeah. To took minutes. Yeah, took minutes to get there. <laughs> there are literally like a couple dozen people out there that we had to fight to get through because they were watching other comics and didn't know who we were. Yep. Um, yeah. But uh, you can't but, come in here. But yeah, Bill Burr's in town tonight. Um, and who else is here? Oh, like Andrew Dice Clay is doing Zanies tonight. So yeah. He's, he's still alive, apparently. Apparently, bar- <laughs> apparently barely. That's good news. Uh, from, from reports <laughs> of people who were hanging out with him last night. Um, but, uh, but, yes, there's a lot. This year, not, we haven't really had anybody big stop through. I mean, yeah. the first year we did it because um, it was so insane. Right now it's mm-hmm. like the fourth year in a row. People are like, okay, you're doing that again. You know? <laughs> um, but the first year, oh, yeah, it was nuts. Like the, the Saturday night of the second weekend, like, there was a moment where it was Eric Andre, then Nate Bargatze, then me. Whoa. You went up after those two? I <laughs> know. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> hey, you headlined those guys. That's crazy. No. They, how'd, that, how'd that happen? Uh, because Nate Bargatze, who is uh, one of my favorite comics. Yeah. Uh, he's from Hermitage, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't heard Nate Bargatze, go hear Nate Bargatze. And I'm not saying this because he's, like, my buddy or anything. I'm saying this because yeah. he's legitimately a great comic. And, I, I like, I know him from around. Like, I don't, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. But, um, but he's a good dude. And like he's, you know, he's on. He was just on Jimmy Fallon the other night. He's got a Netflix special. He's got a Comedy Central special. He's legitimately hilarious. Like yeah. everybody laughs at Abe Bargatze. Um, and uh, he, he kind of like is one of those people that doesn't hasn't let his ego. You know, he's he's still yeah. a good dude. You know. Yeah. So he actually like was he he knew knew what we were doing this. He knows Chad Ryden. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. I um, mean a lot of the other comics better. But they, uh, he brought the people over. You know, he would like, like Eric Andre. Eric Andre did a show, and he's like, you want to go over there? And so he did. <laughs> Hannibal Burst stopped by and did a set Wednesday afternoon that first year. Hannibal and Hannibal Eric Burst. Yeah, Eric Andre came later, mm. um, like the night that I was there Saturday. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't like that was planned for me to be up. It was like I had, a, I had like a 10 p.m. set on the schedule. Yeah. And, of course, you know, if Eric Andre and Nate Bargatze show up, you're like, okay, you're going up. Yeah. So they just kind of pushed everybody back. So it just, they showed up at the exact moment where I was next. Oh, no. And I was sitting there. We knew they were coming. Mm-hmm. And I was pacing, smoking a cigar in the alley going, <laughs> good God, please let me go on stage <laughs> so that it's not Eric Andre and Nate Bargatze. Oh, Nate. man. But thank God. Uh, I think, you know, Nate's an aware guy. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't make it where he went first and then Eric Andre went up. Mm-hmm. He had Eric Andre go first and then him. Yeah. And if you've ever seen Eric Andre do live comedy, he's nuts. And his energy level is so high. Yeah. Uh, that I would I would have, like, probably just... At that point, I've been in comedy for, like, two years. Mm-hmm. I would have, like... It would have been incredibly intimidating. So so, so it went Eric Andre, Nate Bargatze, then me. Mm-hmm. Nate Bargatze, in my opinion, is a better comic even than Eric Andre. Eric mm-hmm. Andre's hilarious. Yeah. It's just that Nate is lower energy like that. So you don't feel like you've got to go up there and be like, okay, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and it's still one of my greatest one of my greatest achievements was going up after that lineup. And uh, did I did I kill? No. Did I do fine? Yeah, I did fine. That's but, good. But <laughs> uh, it wasn't the, it wasn't a drop off of a cliff. 
in terms of the show. It was a slow roll down a hill. <laughs> okay. And, uh, you know, <laughs> expectations have to be relative, so <laughs> I felt good about it. Did you feel that you needed to change your show at all when you came up there, like how you were going to go into it, or did you just do your normal set, or what no. did you do to come off of that? Um, I just did it, and actually the interesting thing was I had just listened to a podcast Nate Bargatze was on okay. a few months before yeah. where people asked him, how do you follow people who are high energy? There you go. And he said, just don't try to be the people that were before you, just be yourself, because mm -hmm. you'll, never, you'll never be the person before you. Yeah. You just go be yourself. If you try to, if you try to like match up against somebody mm -hmm. like that, um, you'll lose, because you won't be yourself. And so I just went up there, and I was like, I'm going to be myself. And people were like, nah, he's fine. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I killed it. I stayed feeling like a champ. If you got any laughs after those two, that's a win. I did get That's some. huge, yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was awesome. That's huge. So um, I know that you're you know, doing comedy a lot. What is your next big plan as far as comedy? I know you've done some in L.A. Any big things coming up with that other than this event we're at now? Um, this, I've got a bunch of shows actually booked coming up. Mm -hmm. um, in Nashville, I'm going down to Atlanta to try to they, they do an open mic, a booked open mic at Laughing Skull, which is kind of a booked open mic is a weird thing to say, but um, I'm going to go down there and try to get it down there. But yeah, yeah I'll, be, I'll be in L.A. in July for the whole month, and um, I'm going to start hitting people up for that. But I've been booking a ton of shows. Uh, I run a show here at Third Coast called Perfect Timing. It's a live comedy game show that we did at Zany's for two years and just moved here. Um, and I'm actually starting, started a new show over at Nashville Urban Winery called the Sidebar Comedy Hour that we did our first one the Friday before last. Mm -hmm. um, and it was all, it was packed. And so that oh, well. was great. Yeah, it was great. Nice. Like our whole thing is we're just going to put four comics on that show instead mm -hmm. of doing a lot. But yeah. They're like, they're always, we make sure the best comics in Nashville. You know, a lot of these showcases, and they, and they need to be like this. We'll have eight, nine comics. You've know, yeah. got different levels, but we're, we're booking only really like the best, and they do longer sets. And the next one of those is coming up June 1st at 9 p.m. at Nashville Urban Winery. The next perfect timing is June 8th here at Third Coast Comedy. And then I'm, I'm on other shows. i got a show. I'm doing a show at New Heights in May. Mm -hmm. um, show over at Crying Wolf. I'll be down at, uh, in September. I'll be in Huntsville at, um, oh, no, what's the brewery called down there? I love them. In Huntsville? Yeah. Oh, my God. They make the, the, the Leica, the, the beer. Just look up, just Google best, best brewery <laughs> in Huntsville. And if that doesn't work, type in Ben Sawyer Brewery. Or just, go to, just go to SawyerComedy.com. And you have go a to website. Yeah, SawyerComedy.com. Oh, go to nice. All my shows are there. How about that? How about I just don't waste your time with more of me babbling? <laughs> just go to SawyerComedy.com. Yeah, SawyerComedy.com. Okay, cool. So why is it that, um, I, you know, I've, I've been following you for a while. You were my professor at one point. Um, you're not just a comic. You also put on these shows. What is it that drives you to <coughs> kind of be somebody who's, a front runner in putting things together and, and driving the spirit of comedy and Murfreesboro, Nashville, and around that? Um, well, I, I, I originally booked a show because I had a cigar shop called Smoker's Abbey, which they're, they're great, mm -hmm. because they asked me to, and I would have never thought that I was at the level to do it. It was fun. We did it for a while, but it, it was a small room. Um, and they still support comedy, which is great. They still sponsor Perfect Timing. Yeah. Um, but then I did Perfect Timing. I love I love comedy game shows, man. And I love like questions. And you can write questions that are funny. Yes. And, and like, uh, I kind of started liking that whenever I do those review games for class where everybody come in. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, you know, this is kind of fun. So over the last, we're, we're now in our fourth year. We started out at East Room for a year, mm -hmm. then two years at Zany's, and in 2018 we moved here to Third Coast, um, which I love because you know. Uh, I can't believe it. The people at Zanies would not bump, you know, Chris Rock on a Friday night to put me up. I can't understand why. Doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I love those guys. They're they're incredible. Yeah, I work with them. Um, but I, you know, Friday nights are 
better. And Third Coast over here was like, we'll give you Friday nights. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Yeah, yeah this so. is a great room. I, I know people watching can't see, but this is a great room. Yeah. Um, and so uh, with Third Coast, um, I know that um, – sorry, I forgot what I was trying to ask right there. Um, so you're asking me what, what it was that, um, that got, drove me to do it. Yeah. Uh, I like the idea of doing a comedy game show. And it took us like – we just, I would say, like this year hit the formula that works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, we tried – I mean, business against each other. We had – uh, Third Man Records versus Lightning 100 one time, which was oh, fun. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, um, uh, we had we did we did Vince Vaughn's festival in 2016 mm -hmm. where we had like Ralph May, Ralphie May, John nice. Reap, uh, Sarah Tiana, mm -hmm. uh, Michael Michael McRae, the, the the country singer. Yeah, it was it was a blast. But um, we just kind of hit this thing now that we're over here. Third Coast is is largely improv. It's run by mm -hmm. Luke Watson uh, and, and some really great improvs. So now we do it where it's uh, improv comics take on stand-up comics take on sketch comics. <laughs> That's and, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's great because we do roast rounds where they have to burn each other, performance rounds. And if you get, yeah. you know, there's already, like, I always say that, like, stand-up versus improv is, like, back in the 90s, it was, like, skateboarders versus rollerbladers. Right. It's like, come on, like, don't, <laughs> don't have a rivalry, but we don't know how not to just because we're dumb. Yeah. Um, so they start roasting each other, man, and it's really, it's really... Uh, Hilarious. So, is it hilarious? Yeah, yeah. yeah. June 8th, come out. See yeah. that show. I guess Absolutely. You'll enjoy it. So Third Coast is really like stage-centered, um, whereas Zanies has so much other stuff going on. Have you thought about now that you're in this room making a, a video or, or like a television show about um, perfect timing so it can be on YouTube and people can watch it? Yeah, we actually filmed one. Uh, actually, my buddy Tim Sutherland, who actually runs the cameras on the show Nashville, come out and film one of them nice. uh, for promo stuff. Yeah. Um, but no, man, I, I failed. I failed to I'd get much out of it. I made a couple of promo <laughs> videos. Yeah. But I hadn't considered that. I mean, I think it would be fun. Uh, you can make a good point. Colton. Like the price uh, is right. What I meant to say was, yes, I've already had that idea. So if we start doing it, we make money off of it. This was not your idea, Colton. This was my idea all along. <laughs> so that is a great idea, which may have seemed like I just heard it. But in fact, I've long plotted to do you this. You can have Colton. all my ideas for free. <laughs> <laughs> you can have all for free. Who is your dream lineup for perfect comedy or, or perfect timing who would you love to have on there oh my god i don't know i mean would you be comfortable with eric andre coming on and destroying your set no no <laughs> i've built the set for the show i've built the set for the, and you know i don't have a i don't have much of a budget so eric andre you're welcome to come on but please don't destroy things oh hell man eric andre you want to come on you can destroy things honestly like i'll, I'll drop worth views yeah i'll drop a hundred bucks on the new set <laughs> if you want to come on just I'll shout there. i know you listen to this podcast eric andre. <laughs> I mean, yes. while we're at it, Patton Oswalt, I'd love to have you on. Uh, that'd be great. Chris Rock, you're probably listening. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Chappelle. Uh, Chappelle definitely that, listens. That'd be great. Tina Fey, actually, I'd love to have on the improv team. Yeah, I'll see Dalia uh, this weekend, so I'll tell him. Yeah. Watch, let, watch the cast. Let him know. I don't know. He's kind of all right. You know? Yeah. He's probably busy. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so I, mean, I don't know. Dream lineup, I mean, right now the, the, the defending champions of the stand-up team, Josh mm -hmm. Widener and Laura Peake, mm -hmm. and those are two of my favorite comics okay. uh, in town. And uh, actually, overall, I like them better than a lot of comics that have specials on Netflix. And so uh, it's great having them on. And they'll be back mm -hmm. June 8th to defend, which makes me happy because the winning <laughs> team comes back and defends. Is this June 8th, you said? June 8th. I yeah. need to come to that. Yeah. Yeah, June 8th. It's Friday mm -hmm. night, 10 p.m. I need to come to that. Starts at 10? Yeah. Awesome. Um, you said Netflix special. If you had a Netflix special, what would you name it? Uh, I figured, uh, I always thought I would call it Don't Write That Down. <laughs> right because I'm always like saying because in class I'll always like yeah. go off on you know like have a little riff or something like yeah. where, I, where I say something ridiculous yeah. and then I'm like don't write that down because I realize that if mm -hmm. you don't say that sometimes people will be like uh, Dr. Sawyer you said that Benjamin Franklin invented lightning and I'm like <laughs> I did say that but uh, it was a joke so don't write that down you know <laughs> 
So uh, that's it's, what I've thought. But I don't yeah. know. I'm, I'm recording an album uh, on, uh, I think it's going to be October mm-hmm. 6th. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think here. I still got to work out the details. Yeah. But it'll be my first album. What are you going to call it? I think we'll call it Don't Write That Down. Don't check uh, your phones in class. Yeah, no, yeah, don't do that too. Okay. <laughs> you get all my students out here letting them staring at their phones the whole time. And then I'll, I'll, char- I'll charge them all $3,000 a mission to come in here. <laughs> And then they'll all stare at their phones the entire time, and then they'll look at me like I'm a madman when I'm like, "Why are you doing that?" But wow. if you want to pay, th- if you want to pay three thousand dollars a seat to come to that show, you're more than welcome to use your phone while you're here. Um, is that like a low key joke about paying admission into your class? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. That's the thing is like, it's it's funny because when I I taught, like I I think I had this idea mm-hmm. um, in teaching. I was like, "Yeah, man, I've been teaching for years before I started stand. I've been doing stand for five years, but I've been yeah. teaching." Uh, at some level, since like 2003, before that, when I was like 20, 24, 25. Um, but I just thought, I was like, yeah, man, I know how to be in front of people, you know, and I talk to them, man, I keep them laughing, you know, they think I'm funny. <laughs> and it's like, I always kind of knew that it was different, but, oh, man, I had it, I had that smacked out of me real quick, you know? Yeah. Because uh, as I think I usually say on the first day of class, because I teach all classes that, at MTSU that people have to take to graduate. <laughs> so I'm like, look, I know. I know that you're like, oh, you, you wouldn't be. I ask them, like, usually, uh, who's a history major? Nobody raises their hand. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe one person. And then everybody's like, ha, ha, he <laughs> wastes his life. And I'm like, no. I was like, I know that. I know the numbers. I can look at your major before you come in here. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you think you're laughing. I was like, but all you've just shown me is that you have such a low bar for this class <laughs> that you walk in here thinking it's going to be the worst class you've ever had. If it's just the third worst class you've ever had, it's <laughs> way better than you thought it was going to be. So your low expectations only make me stronger. <laughs> Um, they only make me stronger. They do. <laughs> and uh, the thing of it is that um, I really quickly learned that, in fact, like, uh, I was overconfident from that. Mm-hmm. And I um, had to learn because, you know, you walk into front of a classroom, you've already got doctor before your name. It's a university. There's like, you know, you're in a place where things like publications and awards matter, right? Yeah. And that's all great, right? That's a different sphere. You walk in here and you're just some dude on the stage and they don't give a damn, you know? Mm-hmm. Like half of them will hate you more if they find out you have a PhD because they're like, what does this guy think he's better than us? <laughs> so um, so what I, what I found, and this was actually brilliant, was that I thought that being a teacher was going to make me a better comic. Mm-hmm. I was wrong about that. What I didn't expect was that being a comic was going to make me a better teacher. And it did because you learn how to read the crowd. You learn timing. You learn pace. You learn how to kind of bring it up and bring it down. And I'm not, an, I'm not, a, I'm not an ex, you know, I'm not a master. I couldn't teach the master class on this. Yeah. But like, my teaching's better. And you've been in my class. I, 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 try, I try jokes that just die. And that's even kind of funny. Um, yeah, those are usually funny too. Yeah, they're funny. You're but, still the only teacher that said a joke in the class. That yeah, I tried to. You <laughs> look at my face and go, oh, he thought that, he thought that was going to be funny. Look at him. <laughs> look at him. <laughs> look how dumb he looks. <laughs> You thought we were going to laugh when he, when he said that. Yep, and that's, that's the one where there's over. like a lull and it's like one, two, three, and then everyone's laughing at me, not with me. But that's okay, man. It's worth it, right? Yeah. yeah. Because ultimately, if they, if, if they laugh, whether or not they're laughing at the joke or they're mm-hmm. laughing at you because you were dumb, it means they were paying attention. Yeah. And, and that's the thing about pacing that you learn with comedy is like you got to keep everybody in. Mm-hmm. you got to keep a pace. you got to figure out, like, especially people don't have, you know, the university is not something that's changed a ton. Mm-hmm. And still you go in and you listen to somebody talk, right? Well, attention spans are different. Technology is different. Expectations are different, right? I mean, it's at some level, um, the availability, uh, uh, bleep, bleep, uh, the availability <laughs> of information we'll is that. there. You could, you could get everything I'm telling you. You're mm-hmm. not, oh, my God, where's the guy who has the book? You know, it's not mm-hmm. 100 years ago or even, or even 30. Yeah. So, like, if you're in my class 
the value, I think, isn't that you have this guy who knows all this stuff. I mean, that's great. You need that. That needs to be kind of the, the first thing. You need to have a guy who knows what he's talking yeah. about. But then the value has to do with delivering it, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're not, I think if you're not thinking about that, I hear a lot of people will say, these kids just don't care. You know, these kids just don't care about history. And it's like, uh, the tone in the voice is like, what's wrong with them? Mm-hmm. And I don't, like, I don't walk into a class assuming that anyone should care about history. Most of my students are 18 to 20 years old. Mm-hmm. They became aware that they existed. They became sentient. <laughs> like, you know, in my adult life, like, you know, like 10 years ago. And they're just figuring out the world around them. Yeah. Why should they, like, why should they care? Most people come to appreciate history when they're older, mm-hmm. when they're, you know, they get to be 50. And the things that are history were part of their life. And suddenly a part of their life is a part of history. And so... So they're able to identify with that history, right? They can see where it came from, and they start to... Your average person is going to appreciate history more when they're 50 than they are when they're 20. Yeah. You shouldn't expect that they would care, right? Mm-hmm. So, so here's the thing. Uh, you know, I guess I'm a professor that should care. Or I could be like, I'm a teacher. I'm supposed to explain to them why they should care. And it doesn't always work. <coughs> but um, if you walk in there expecting they should care, mm-hmm. uh, that to me doesn't even follow a pattern, right? It doesn't follow any rational sense. Of course they shouldn't care. When they walk in there, right? I mean, why would they? Mm-hmm. So I hope that by the time they leave, they do care, right? And, and, and what I have to add to that history that you could get really anywhere, read books, you can mm-hmm. you know, watch documentaries. What I try to add to it is relating it, uh, making it funny or trying to bring emotion into it and in ways that, that bring people in. And hopefully by the end of the class, they've realized that, that even if they don't necessarily care about history, that they've, they've had to test their assumptions against evidence at least a couple of times in the class. And that they uh, they think about themselves as human beings, right? And and, yeah. and you're part of the story. You're part of this human story, and it doesn't have to be dates and you know facts. You got got to kind of have some of that, but it's more about like learn to be empathetic. Learn that um, when you look back at the at the racism right, of, of of the United States and, and slavery and, and Reconstruction, and all this stuff, understand that the people that were perpetrating those terrors were people just like you, right? Mm-hmm. And so why did they do it? Uh, Oftentimes they did it because they rationalized themselves that somebody was different. But time and time again, if you look back at history, you see that like racism is driven by people in power pitting poor people against each other. And you can't see that in your daily life because you think you're making your own decisions because yeah. you're a rugged pioneer individual <laughs> is what you think. Yeah. But it's really easy to see if you go back and you, you talk about like what, what happens with the Irish folks who come here and what happens you know, with, with, with the... I was talking in class the other day. Um, in July of 1863, the, the riots in New York where the Irish folks rise up in resistance to the, to the draft of the Union and they attack the black citizens in New York. Mm-hmm. And you have to, they have to divert a portion of the Union army away from the Civil War to put down the riots inside of, uh, of, of New York. Mm-hmm. Why do they do that? Well, because the black, the black folks had, uh, were, were, were the lowest rung. The Irish were the second lowest, but not by much. They were all treated terribly. But the Irish folks worked in factories and they worked in, poor, you know, in, in warehouses and when they would demand better living, because they lived in squalor, mm-hmm. uh, they would go. Sometimes they would go on strike. And so, what do the what do the factory owners do? They go get black people, hire them, and march them in front of the Irish who were striking. Mm-hmm. And what happens? Well, the Irish people attack the black people. The black folks fight the Irish folks. And now the people in power just that's it. Now they're fighting each other. And you can't see that in your daily life. But when you look back at history, you don't feel so attached to it. You can see that's happened there. Yeah. You can see all these times. You know, the civil rights movement. You can see. This is a strategy. Racism is a strategy to keep poor people fighting each other. And if you can see that in the past, I hope that maybe by the time you leave my class, you can see that every time you have these racist assumptions, instead of thinking that you're right or, or you know, talking to somebody who agrees with you, 
like look and see like who's pulling who's pulling the strings right mm -hmm. who's doing that to you because you are ultimately somebody else's puppet and if you can see that in history it's easier to see it in your daily life whoa yeah could you just rehearse that or or no, where no. that's that's my a job really intense think, that's an intense idea it's my job to think about these things you know that's the brilliance of my you remember I come into class every day looking like the happiest person ever? Yes, I do recall. And at the end of every class, I thank everyone for being there. Almost every time, right? And you ask everybody what they did, yeah. what they've been up to, so the little thing what I'm, good things have happened. Yeah, what's, yeah. what's good news? Of course. Yeah. You want to build community, right? Yeah, again, absolutely. Again, you could learn the stuff that I'm going to tell you mm -hmm. anywhere. Yeah. So I'm going to deliver to you the information in a way that makes you care. But mm -hmm. another fundamental thing that matters is building community. Like, what's the value and, and like, why I'm so opposed to, like, online uh, college for the most part mm -hmm. some people do it right but mm -hmm. most people are doing it to churn, churn in money right okay um, it's because the power of, of a university it, it, it's the same same thing as like the power of joining going to the armed forces you know and serving the country you get away from the place you're from mm -hmm. and you encounter new people and you you come in from communities oftentimes that have their own biases you don't see them they just seem like you know common sense or what you do mm -hmm. you get away you meet people from different places in the world you understand, you build your, your empathy, you build your sympathy for the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And so that it's that community that matters at a university as much as the education you're getting in a lot of ways, right? So I want my students to get to know each other. I want them to, to hear about, and, and you guys, and you know, we work together on this awesome fundraising event, this, this uh, serious, serious, fund. serious Fund for Paul yeah. Newman Charity. Seriously Funny, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Seriously Funny. There we go. Yeah, yep. and tell about uh, Paul Newman's Serious Fund, yeah, uh, Children's awesome. Charities. Awesome. And I was, I really appreciate you letting me do that. Um, you saved the event, so. I don't know that I saved the event. <laughs> I, may have, I may have learned the lesson that I'll never do stand-up comedy in Murfreesboro again in front of my students, <laughs> but I will host any show you want me to, I will host any show you want me to, and bring <laughs> comics. Yes, um, please don't make me host ever again. Oh, well, that was... Uh, <laughs> please don't text me that the show we were going to do fall, fell apart 48 to 24 hours before. Shout out to Dr. Sawyer for saving, <laughs> for saving a show in 24 hours. <laughs> you was, got lucky because you, you told me the show wasn't going to work and I was mm -hmm. doing a show at basement at the basement that night with other comics. Oh, that's where you were that night? I, yeah, I, was, I was doing a show that night oh, and I just wow. turned around to everybody with me. I was like, is anybody available tomorrow night? <laughs> that's awesome. And I can't believe we got Monty because Monty Turned out to be a so great fun. show. Yeah, yeah and, it was a really good show. And I love it and, you know, the reason that um, I think the reason that students come to me and ask me for help with stuff like this and I'm glad they do um, they, they get to know each other and and you I think when you're in the classroom you wonder does a professor even care and maybe some don't but you know it's a profession that I don't understand mm -hmm. why you would ever go into it if you didn't care yeah and you guys are building community and and the thing that I learn whenever you guys tell me about the good news a lot of times it's the charity work you're doing mm -hmm. a lot of times it's I'm going on a mission trip to help people, you know, in another country. I'm going, you know, I had a student go on a mission trip down to, to, to Texas to help people from the hurricane relief. Nice. You, you learn that, and I think when you hear that other people are doing it, a lot of times it's about, in life, you, you think, can I do this, can I do that? Mm -hmm. You've heard that people do it, and then you meet people who do it. And so somebody goes, I'm going down to do some, some flood relief in my church, and somebody else goes, I would love to do that. Maybe they talk after class, and maybe you got one more person helping out, right? Yeah. Um, People that have interest, you know, you let everybody speak up, and then people are doing cool things, and that's how that's a, that creates a forum, especially at a commuter school like MTSU, mm -hmm. yep. where a lot of people don't, you know, they come and they leave. You want to build a community for them, right? Get them involved, man. Get them know each other. Like great collaborations come out of people from different places meeting each other, and college is that first step where 
You're out of your home. Mm -hmm. it's, it's your first chance to be who you are, mm -hmm. right? You know, you're, you're 18 years old in your hometown. People still remember that stupid thing you did when you were 12, right? <laughs> yes. yes. It's, it's hard. It's hard. To, you'll always, if you stay in your hometown, you'll always kind of be that person. Um, you, go, you go off somewhere and you, this new community, you can be the person you really are without all that old baggage. Mm -hmm. Meet people who have common interests. And that's why I always do that. And it's, it's, the students love it. I've got people who tag me, in, two girls that tag me in, on Facebook. Uh, they were like celebrating their friend diversity on Facebook. They're best friends. Yeah. And uh, they had been like, oh, well, we met in Dr. Sorry. They met in my class. <laughs> nice. Because they, were, they both like rock climbing. And one of them said they were going rock climbing. The person who sat on the other side of the room was like, wow. And now they're best friends. Whoa. And it was awesome because when they celebrated their friend diversity on Facebook, uh, they, they friended me and they tagged me in it. <laughs> so I went and read it and I was like, this is awesome. But then I read the comments before that because they'd been up a little bit. Yeah. And it was like, we met in history class. And somebody else was like, ugh, history class sucks. And they were like, yeah, history class does suck. But we met each other in there. Thanks, Dr. Sorry. I was like, guys, I'm really, thank, thanks for tagging me in this so that I could. <laughs> so I could be reminded of my, of my major is not important to you. Yeah, well, it's fine. It's not important to everybody. They'll get older. They'll appreciate it. But in the meantime, it's like, you know, whatever they collaborate on, like mm -hmm. whatever good comes of their friendship, right? That yeah. came out of a class that might not have otherwise. Mm -hmm. and, and the friendships and the relationships we build at this, at this age, man, they'll, they'll define us. Yeah. We'll find the people that have the skills that, that are complementary to ours, the people that have the ideas that, that inspire us. And that's why I do it. And, you know, some people say, hey, you spend, you know, you, sometimes you'll spend like 10 minutes at the beginning of class just reading, you read the <laughs> role and the yes, he's got good news. And I'm like, okay, great. Okay, so, so what do you think is going to make people love history? just jamming more facts down their throat yeah. or creating a place they like to come where they feel comfortable and then they trust, e they trust each other as a class to speak out later mm -hmm. in the class. They trust you as a professor because they know that you care. That means they'll come to you when they want to organize charity events. Mm -hmm. They'll come to you whenever they're struggling in, with other things in class. It means they'll come to you when they want a letter of recommendation to help them get a job or help you, you can know them. I find out you got this interest that a scholarship comes up, I'm going to email you. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't know that. I mean, how would I know that? I have 175 students. Right. So every time I just came in there and was like, all right, let's get going, 1864. Like, <laughs> right? I'm not going to know those things. And I, you know, my, my job as a professor is to teach. It's also to serve. Right? I can attest to that because I had your class, and it was the second history class I had at MTSU. And not a knock on the other history professors that I had, but it was definitely a different vibe. Um, and really, of all the professors I've ever had, there's only a few that built community within your class, and one of them was yours. So uh, definitely something I can attest to. So I, I think that more professors should be like that. So I think it's good that you're cultivating that um, in your classes. So hopefully one day those people will be professors too, and it'll be like a snowball effect. Yeah, well, yeah. thank you, man. I'm glad, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you know, and, and the fact that you asked me to be on this podcast is like, I know it seems weird, but it's like, well, I feel like I, maybe I did my job because you're not my mm -hmm. student anymore, right? Yeah. You, we're, you're, yeah. You're, you graduated. You said I can call you Ben now. And you can always. Super exciting. Dr. Sawyer, <laughs> as I was telling you. So as I was telling Colton earlier, like, Dr. Sawyer, I have people call me that on campus. Um, mm -hmm. A part of it is, like, dude, I spent seven years getting a Ph.D. I spent, like, two <laughs> masters. Like, like I got to get something. I got to feel something <laughs> out of it. But the other part is, like, look, do you want a place where people, mm -hmm. like, if I, wanna, if I want people to respect me, mm -hmm. right? It's like, understand that you got a, you got a guy with a Ph.D. teaching this yeah. class. It's not a master's degree, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think it, it, it reflects upon uh, the fact that I have standards for you. You should have standards for me. Uh, but also there's like, I'm saying there's this bit by Mary J. Berger, who's a mm -hmm. comic here in Nashville. Yeah. And she's like making fun of like the cool teacher. Like, you call me by my first name, man. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> and giving high fives. And like, that's another reason. I don't want to be like, you just call me Ben. Like, we're just buddies. We're not buddies. I'm here. Like, I'm a, like, I, we, we are community. We've chosen to be here. But I, you know, I'm going to lead this thing. And you have to go with me on this and understand that, like, I, I, you're here. And I'm a professor because I spent my life studying this stuff. Yeah. I got this thing. 
but also, you know, we're not just buddies, you know, like, like, yeah. because if you think of me as a buddy, like, you know, you should expect that someone who's here has a job and they're a professional and that they are going to do their job right. Even if I joke around in class, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think like people will always like, he's saying he's, he's always, he hides this. He has, he, uh, he's really strict, but he hides it with humor. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I should have been reading your reviews online. Haven't oh, you? of course. Of course. <laughs> Of course I read it. Nice. It's like my students, I was talking about this the other day, nice. my students are like, you read, you read your Ray Mumford? I was like, why, would, like, why wouldn't I? <laughs> First of all, uh, there's a lot of kind ones. My students have been very good to me. There's a lot of mean ones. Usually they're pretty funny. What's the worst one ever? The or worst? the meanest one ever? The meanest? I should have brought them on the podcast and been like, oh, how no. do you explain this? <laughs> no, this is actually, I was talking about this on the stage in there yeah. earlier. Uh, there's this great one where it's like... Uh, uh, Dr. Sawyer loves history so much that it's almost creepy. Why'd you give that person that voice? <laughs> uh, you want to know, you, you know why? No. It's hilarious. Why? Because uh, I know who wrote it. <laughs> and so that is what they sound like. Yeah. Um, and here's how, I, here's how I know who wrote it. All right. And I don't, I don't like care. Right. Right. Obviously right. It doesn't reflect like, you know, you're not going to, yeah. no, everybody's going to love you. You just got to get over that. You get over your own uh, F and ego. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah. it's because the person who wrote that also right. He only gives five absences. And I was like, I've never in my life given five absences. <laughs> and I, I read that. And a couple weeks later, mm -hmm. a student walked over to me and was like, Dr. Sawyer, tell them that we get five absences. And the oh, whole no. class was like, no, we get three. Why would you think that? And I was like, no, it's three. And she was like, oh, and I was like, she gave herself away. And I was like, there you are. Oh, <laughs> there you are. <laughs> Wait, this was during session and she had already given you a review. Of course, yeah. What? Yeah. You're supposed to do this at the end of the class. Yeah, you're right. You're supposed to, but also uh, student evaluations <laughs> of, of faculty of classes are due before the class is over too, which doesn't at MTSU <laughs> doesn't make any sense. It's like yeah, it's like you're you're eating your Chick Fil A and you finish your, chick, mm -hmm. your chicken sandwich, and then you start eating your fries, and then the dude from Yelp is like, rate it, and you're like, should I finish <laughs> this person? Rate it now. <laughs> like Sunday is like that's what they do. <laughs> like it's like the class. I don't get it. She yeah. plays not even open on Sunday. And that's the point. So <laughs> who's really running this operation? It should be like Uber, where you can rate your students as well, or it's just like a list of students who are just complete idiots. Yeah, I, I do that. It's called grading. <laughs> <laughs> I do that. Literally, every one of them gets rated by me. Um, it's not. Dang. It's not on content. It's not. It's not on the content of the character, so much as it is the quality of their work. Solely on their quality of work. Of course, right? So, of course. <clears throat> And this is another thing, like, I, I've written letters of recommendation for students who got C's in my class. Yeah. And, like, I remember I had a student who was, I mean, responsible, right? I mean, business-minded guy, right? I mean, so talented. Just mm -hmm. history was hard for him. But the guy was dripping with charisma. He showed up every day, sat in the front row. Mm -hmm. I mean, just came crisply dressed, right? I mean, young dude, 20, 20 years old, 21 nice. years old. Who does that, right? And I was like, this guy, is he's doing the thing. He's dressing for the thing he wants, right? Mm -hmm. And he carries himself with dignity. He, he, he was respectful. He got see in my class, and he was telling me he was applying for something. I said, well, if you want a letter of recommendation, let me know. I think he was a sophomore. At mm -hmm. that time, when you don't know that many professors well. Yep, yep. I was like, let me know. And he's like, I got a C in your class. I was like, I know. He's like, you write me a letter? I was like, man, and, and I don't want to go into details, like, because I don't, you know, it's like private stuff. I don't want to, like, but, like, yeah. uh, I said, man, the thing you're applying for, you're brilliant for it, right? The thing he was applying for was perfect for him. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'll write you a really strong letter of recommendation. And he, he, it didn't, at first it took him a while, but I was like, I don't, I'm not rating you as a human being. I'm rating you based upon like what you could do in this class, mm -hmm. right? 
I could not go, you know, I got a PhD. I couldn't go into a math class and you know that, right? Would somebody <laughs> yeah. be like, I'm afraid I'm not going to write you this letter to do research in Russia because your physics is terrible. Like, that doesn't <laughs> make any sense, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, that's uh, people, people get mad about their grades or ever excited about their grades. And I'm like, you know, you should get the best grade possible. I want everyone to get an A. Mm-hmm. But don't feel like these grades are who you are as a person. And oftentimes, it's the people that are like, oh my God, 4-0, GPA! And it's like, and, you, and, and yet you're getting very little out of this experience because mm-hmm. you're not meeting people. You're, 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 you've learned to be a good student. And that's cool if that's an aspect. But you've defined yourself as a student. And this will be over. Soon. Yeah. It goes fast. Yeah. There are yeah. no multiple choice questions you know, yeah. as, as a CEO, life. right? And as a like, CEO, yeah, right? that's true, yeah. And so you need to, like, you got to develop those skills that make you more well-rounded, I think. Um, but anyway. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to jump to a quick commercial break, and then we'll be right back. I'll just, I'll just do that for the camera. Hi, I'm Ben Sawyer. <laughs> um, I'm the host of Perfect Timing, the live comedy game show at Third Coast Comedy Club. Uh, what are you doing June 8th? Probably nothing. Probably nothing because you don't have that many friends. And uh, you're listening to this podcast because you just want to hear people talking who have effective voices and, and, and care for each other. Well, you can see one of those people, June 8th, at Perfect Timing at Third Coast Comedy Club. Come see defending champions Josh Wagner and Laura Peake. Defend their, crowd against, defend their crown against some of Nashville's other comics. Uh, so that's June 8th, 10 p.m., Third Coast Comedy Club. And now we'll get back to the show. Hey, that, that was great, man. That's great. It sounds like a great show. Um, I hope that everyone can make it to it. I mean, you know, and whoever read it, uh, that, that ad, great voice, very, probably very handsome, uh, probably very strong. <laughs> very strong. <laughs> Raise your hand if you have a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking about the whole time you were talking about your PhD. Is that time you did that in class? Yeah, somebody said something. Somebody asked you, and they were, like, trying to be funny, because, like, your class is funny, so they're trying to be funny, too. And you stopped everything you're doing, and you're like, raise your hand if you have a PhD. You just stared at the class with your hand up for like a solid <laughs> 10 seconds. Nobody said anything. Oh, As, oh just me? <laughs> I still okay. think that was hilarious. I still think that's the funniest thing I've ever seen in class is the fact that you did that to the whole room. I don't think anybody said anything much after that for the rest of the semester. No, no. I mean, everybody knows that I was doing that. I was just being, I like to be a jackass like that. It's like the, I always yeah. try to figure out reasons when someone, uh, when someone has a good point. And like, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll always like take it in, but I always like to... There's nothing funnier than me, mm-hmm. like as a concept. And yeah. I think it's just, it's not, probably won't be funny to everybody else. Nothing funnier than me than like an adult, like a, an adult professional who's like super deeply insecure <laughs> and like can't handle any challenges to their authority. Yeah. Right. So like, it's just like always trying to figure out ways to prove that they're right, even mm-hmm. though they're not right. And so like the other, <laughs> the other day, and I, and I do this character, sometimes I'll do it quick because it, <laughs> it just makes me laugh. Uh, but the other day a student was like, you know, Dr. Sawyer, you know, uh, Michigan has as many national championships as, as Michigan State, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, well, <laughs> how many since you were born? And he was like, well, none since I was born. I was like, okay, cool. Well, Michigan State has two since I was born, so we've got more. That's <laughs> just dumb, but it's like that, that's me being like the You Instagram, can't even respond uh, to that. Yeah. Yeah, in your life they haven't won any of that, but in my <laughs> life they have won two. Like, it's just, <laughs> that's hilarious. Anyway. Yeah, why are you such a big Michigan State fan, even though the school you work for stomped them? Well, um, Colton, don't open that can of worms because uh, the school that you went to has been to uh, two, two, 
two NCAA championships. They did really well, you know, but the next game they got beat. They didn't make it very far. <laughs> Michigan State's been to a lot of Final Fours and two national championships in my lifetime alone. So I'm not saying, I mean, obviously the faculty at MTSU is superior to any other university. Okay. Shout out to Dr. Sawyer. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Dr. Kolar, my wife. She a professor? Yeah. Where? MTSU. What? Yeah. For what? She teaches history. Okay. That's <laughs> news to me. <laughs> That's cool, though. Did yeah. you guys, like, meet in a history program or something? We met in Moscow. Moscow? Yeah. What's Moscow? It's the capital of Russia. I thought it was Moscow. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I say it different. I guess you get to. No, I don't get to. How do you say to. it in Russian? Most people, Moscow, but, but most people don't. Like, it's British, Moscow. I don't know why I say it that way. People ask me It's cool. It. But Moscow, I think it's like the southern thing, right? Moscow. I'm going to start saying it like that. You don't have to. Don't do it. And then Moscow. I won't respond when people ask me why I said it that way. Yeah, that was a dick answer to you, by the way. You didn't deserve that. <laughs> Moscow, it's, it's where we, uh, we wrote through in research. She was a, uh, she's from Long Beach, California. She went to UCLA nice. for her PhD. Nice. She was there on research funding. And then I was in Michigan State. I went there on research funding. We met each other. We fell in love. And then we Whoa. moved to California. And then I moved here. And now I got a kid, a small boy named Solomon. With nice. her. And uh, it's, uh, you know, all's well that ends well. Are and you working for the Russians? Like, is that, are you like a spy or anything? <sighs> Solomon just turned three in November, <laughs> and it was a really great moment to see that he was there. And I'm not working for the Russians, for God's sake. <laughs> That's the great thing. Was like, That's what everybody's worried about. When I, well, when I lived in Russia, everybody thought it was an American spy. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, can't they, win. Well, they, can't, they couldn't fathom why an American would speak Russian. Mm, that is confusing. And to, to double that, uh, there's also the thing that I was there on State Department funding because I was a Fulbright scholar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it would just be like, as my Russian got better, the accusations of me being a spy would just more and more and more. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Do people that. actually say that over there? Are they worried about that there? Yeah, of course. Oh, of course. Why are they worried about us spying? Because we do. Do we? Yeah. Oh, nice. Oh, no, no, no. The United States never does anything wrong. I'm one of those no, Americans never. just like, we've never done anything wrong ever. That's disappointing because you were actually in my History 2020 class, right? Bay of Pigs didn't happen. Bay of Pigs didn't happen. <laughs> September 11th, 1973. Oh. Chile didn't happen. Our Benz wasn't deposed. We didn't, uh, you know, basically back a coup. Magic and, bullet. Yeah, we didn't overthrow the president of Iran. <laughs> we didn't, uh, we didn't basically like overthrow the legitimate government of Hawaii. Uh, we didn't, uh, we've done none, none of those, none of, I can't think of a single thing in mm -hmm. which we've done anything that would be yep. questionable. All those not. Yeah. All yeah. those things we did not do. <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally kidding. Um, but what spurs your interest in Russia? Because obviously, I mean, you grew up in a time that was maybe even crazier than what I'm growing up in right now or what I grew up in as far as American relations with Russia. So what got you into going, going to Moscow, Moscow? Uh, and you say, however you want. <laughs> they, they say it Moscow, so we're all kind of wrong. Moscow. Uh, um, so. Uh, one, I grew up in the Cold War, and uh, like my formative years were Ronald Reagan years. I went to the theater and saw Rocky IV. Mm -hmm. You know, like I saw Red Dawn, man, all those yeah. Cold War movies, and I was like, yeah, communist. My mom told me communists <laughs> were gonna come get me. And, you know, they come get kids out of their bed, and I was like, what? You know, my mom <laughs> never been to Russia. Like she was just like, that's what they do. That's what they and do. And so, like, I think with a lot of things, you you realize that you know, you've been deceived. And it's very weird because, mm -hmm. like, the fabric of the landscape I grew up in, like in rural North Carolina. Um, there was the Soviet Union. It mm -hmm. was bad. It was after us. Mm -hmm. It did terrible things in the world, and we were we were good, and we wanted to stop them, and save humanity. And there are moments in your life where you realize that, like, a, a really large piece of the cultural fabric you live in is just straight up a lie. It's just straight up a lie. And that's not to say that mm -hmm. the United States wasn't fighting for principles that I care about. Absolutely, right? Absolutely, I, we like to think that we do, and we do sometimes, right? 
But this idea that it was like this evil empire. Yeah. You know, you go to Russia and, you know, they will tell you a story about the United States that sounds exactly like the story that we tell about them. Hmm. And you start realizing, well, damn, most people are just people. Most people have the same basic things they want. You know, they want, you know, enough food to eat, a roof over their head, and the idea that their kid can have as good or a better life than they've had. And that binds us together. Yeah. And you realize that, like, going back to what I said before, people are pitted against each other who've never met each other. And that makes you, you're the subject of someone else's power. And when you, when you start reading history, um, that, that is the first thing that becomes apparent. Um, because, you know, even our high school history books, man, they're written by politicians. And they just, I mean, they're not written by them, but they decide the content. Mm -hmm. It's not historians. They tell you a story that's a convenient narrative that the end conclusion is that they should be in power. And that's not to say everybody's in power shouldn't be in power. It's just simply that it's very convenient that you start off with an answer instead of a question whenever you go to these things. Mm -hmm. um, Russia was the biggest one for me because I grew up, like I said, I was born in 1978. I remember when the Soviet Union collapsed. I remember when the Berlin Wall fell down. <clears throat> Uh, and then I, that got me interested. I also started getting interested in uh, economics and looking at the difference between the U.S. and the Soviet system, how did communism actually work. And then finally, the, the, the real kicker, which is like just me being uh, hard-headed, was that I started studying Russian language and it was one of the hardest things I'd ever encountered. And I just was like, you're not going to beat me. <laughs> and you've got to know the language to do the history. Mm -hmm. You just can't read the documents. You can't yeah. uh, do, do the work without knowing the language. So that's, that's the comprehensive answer to that. Yeah, and then I went to Moscow because I uh, got some funding from Michigan State, and then I got a Fulbright. And uh, some of the most fun years of my life, Moscow is awesome. It is expensive, but it's awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's that's how that's the, the nutshell version, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting coming from you. Is that somebody who's been in that country and has experienced that? And so many people have this like super negative view of Russia, um, but I kind of had the idea that they probably have the same view of us. But at the same time, it's just a bunch of people in another spot doing the same thing. So um, I guess at uh, the top levels maybe is where people feud our governments and stuff like that. Um, so that's the weird thing about that. Um, how do you feel about the whole Syrian issue? Because I know that's that's pretty relevant um, right now because we just, what was it, we bombed those. Uh, we bombed some chemical factories. Chem chemical factories. How do you feel about that? Uh, chemical sites, I'm not sure what they were. How do I feel about it? Because um, you know a lot about Russia. I so. know, you know Syria is something that I know less about. Um, mm -hmm. I've I actually did an episode of my podcast, The Road to Now, with Sean Foley, uh, who, who broke a lot of this down. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, long story short, it's a civil war there. Things are not good. We've obviously got a different side than the Russians. Yeah. It seems strange to me overall, though, <clears throat> because say what you want about the Russians. Um, you know, Putin's not a good dude. Uh, they, don't, they don't care about the same things we care about, or at least that leadership group, right? I mean, we care about thriving civil society, at least, at least we're supposed to. Um, he's not concerned with those things, but um, he's a rational actor. Right? Mm -hmm. He calculates. He makes decisions on the same kind of enlightenment basis that we do. Um, that puts us on pretty fair common ground against things like ISIS, against this terror, these radical terrorist groups. Mm -hmm. And while Syria is more complicated, I think overall what I wish would be that we could get to a point with Russia where we, uh, where we work together on these things that actually matter far more, I think, to the world and, and, to, most, and to, to average people than you know, propping up regimes mm -hmm. and all of this. So, you know, my answer is I don't know tons about Syria, but, but I, I wish that, um, you know, Putin plays by rules that we can understand. Uh, overall, like the, the deal with Putin, I was furious and like subtly so after the last election 
um, because the you know here you had a situation with Russia potentially involved in our democracy, right? Mm -hmm. um, my response, of course they are, of course they are, right? We're involved in theirs. Yeah. Don't, don't think we're not, mm -hmm. uh, and that doesn't make it okay. But to be outraged that someone's doing something that we that we historically have done, <coughs> don't have your mind blown by it. Yeah. Right. Um, the comparison I was trying to give before, I don't know if this is a perfect one, is um, if your wife cheats on you with the dude that's your enemy, who should you be mad at? That You knew that dude was the enemy. Your relationship was with your wife, right? Mm -hmm. That dude always told you he was going to try to sleep with your wife, right? Yeah, yeah. It's your wife made the decision. That's the one that you got to deal with, right? Yeah. So that's the problem. I wasn't mad at I wasn't like we should focus on Russia. What I said was we should get our own house in order, and we should deal with this at home now. Both sides, both the Republicans and Democrats, uh, just incredibly stupid in the way that they dealt with it. Yeah. Trump, Trump is, is so easily just as, you know, you, you pet him and he just purrs and he loves it. <laughs> Stroke that dude, he'll do anything. He'll, you know, he loves strong men. Mm -hmm. He's not suited. And Putin, Putin's a guy with training. Putin's a lot of experience. See right through that dude, mm -hmm. right? On the other hand, the Democrats, instead of learning what could have been some real important lessons, uh, and I don't know if they've learned this overall. I think to some degree it's coming, they're coming around on it. Um, was all they blamed Russia for everything. Russia, Russia, and Trump. Russia, Russia, and Trump. It's like, why don't you look at the fact that you didn't campaign in Michigan? Why don't you look at the fact that you ran a wet towel for your presidential candidate <laughs> on the basis that you, you, you just, she's been around long enough? Mm -hmm. um, and I, and, and I, you know, it was, one of, it was one, of, one of those wonderful situations in life where everyone hated me um, for saying these things. Yeah. Because um, the Trump people were like, Trump's going to deal with it. I'm like, nah, he's an idiot. And the Democrats were like, the Russians and Trump? And I was like, dude, look at yourselves. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, I'm sure and they didn't like that. Here's the simple formula, just for anyone listening who wants to know how I think about this. Here, let's just do this basic thing. Mm -hmm. Who were the last five people the Democrats ran for president? On one hand, you've got... Hillary Clinton, mm -hmm. John Kerry, and Al Gore. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, you have Barack Obama and Bill Clinton. Mm -hmm. Anything different between this side of losers and this side of winners over here? <laughs> Anything different. <laughs> yes. It's so obvious that like you can, you can, a monkey could go, those guys got charisma. Yeah. These people over here are like, ah, oh, blah, blah, blah. Hillary Clinton, <laughs> was, Hillary Clinton was talking through his applause breaks at the DNC. Uh, <laughs> Did you learn that too? Like you do stand-up comedy open mics for three months, mm -hmm. and you go, dude, if they're laughing or they're clapping, you don't, don't, don't talk over them. Let them do it. <laughs> I mean, just like the the lack of, mm -hmm. of capacity. And I'm not saying that that doesn't mean that her policies uh, weren't better. You know, I mean, they they were in some ways. In other ways, I'm more convinced we would the potential of war with Russia would be higher if she had won. Um, and the Democrats have been so in denial about the changes, and and um, I don't know that it would have been good for them. But they they they, they weren't learning anything. And both parties, in my mind, had just kind of, they'd lost their way. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're not offering anything tangible. And my theory about this, I know I'm, ta I'm talking forever, but <laughs> is that um, America is in a mourning. We're mourning right now. Because the world of the 1940s to the 1970s, you've heard me talk about this a bit oh, in my yeah. class. Yep. The world, that world, uh, the post-World War II boom, mm -hmm. we, we, we are the dominant power. Mm -hmm. We are... 50% of the world's industrial capacity after World War II is ours, of the entire world. Mm -hmm. Tokyo is destroyed. Berlin is destroyed. London is destroyed. All the major industrial areas are destroyed. They got to buy stuff from us to rebuild. Russia. Russia was depleted. Right, right. Yeah. So we're the, and so we make a ton of money. Mm -hmm. 
you get computers, you get all these, these things, and you need people to go to college. College expands. The GI Bill allows people to be able to buy yeah. houses. Yeah. It's a moment, though. Right? And because of the Cold War, this notion of, like, we're the best, we're the best, God loves us. Yeah. We created a story about ourselves that we're just somehow inherently special. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're special as a human, right? I'm special as an individual. Yeah. I don't want to say raw snowflakes. I said <laughs> that for a long time before I realized that's, like, a slur, uh, which was kind of <laughs> another story. Um, I probably called you a snowflake in your class because I, I, I did it because I had a third grade teacher. who would just be like, you're going to just cut out snowflakes. <laughs> I had no clue it was a hate word used by the right to like make fun of college students. Yeah. And it was like when it hit me, I was like, oh, shit. I've been saying this for like <laughs> a long time. Everybody thought you were probably alt-right. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's weird. But um, anyway, uh, going back to what I'm saying, like the United States is not inherently a magical place. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, the economic terms that made us to that, lead to that greatness, uh, God bless them, the baby boomers, squandered it. <laughs> um, and, but we're still going. But we're special. Mm-hmm. Why are things getting worse? We're just magic. And we're looking for someone else to blame, right? The Democrats, Jimmy Carter told people this. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Carter told people this in like 79. <laughs> he said, look, you can't, you, you, like, things aren't infinite. You guys mm-hmm. like cut down your heat, right? Like get used to it. And that dude was crucified. You and brought this up one time in our class. Crucified. Yep. Yeah. Being honest with people. Mm-hmm. Everybody learned from that point. You do not tell people this shit is falling apart. Tell them <laughs> it's going to be fine. Yeah. Tell them it's going to And uh, the Democrats learned that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they, and so in terms of the mourning for that period, the Democrats locked into a state of, uh, of denial. Mm-hmm. Right? The, first, the first phase of grieving is denial. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. <laughs> yes. And the Republicans are winning right now. Because they've advanced. They're in the anger stage of grieving, mm-hmm. right? They're grieving angrily. <laughs> and more and more Americans are starting to come out of denial. And the Democrats are going, no, no, but it's not, it's not, everything will be fine. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not like six people that aren't everything. Like, it's going to be, <laughs> the system works great. And the Republicans, mm-hmm. even with, with no strategy, with no strategy. Yeah. They're just mad and they're going, shit's falling apart. And they go, you're more right than they are. Because I know something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And this anger's got people riled up. Neither one of those parties is going to actually solve the problems we have until they get to the acceptance phase and begin learning to live without that era and figuring out new ways to actually not make the country great again, but just make the country great. Make it again that's so embedded, embedded in like, oh, yeah, you know how we used to be better? Like coal. False. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coal, steel. Yeah. We're all going to drive like steel vehicles <laughs> with like massive, <laughs> nine, nine miles a gallon. <laughs> You know the, the the oil pipeline or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You can't you cannot you cannot. I mean, you can't, you can't pass policy that's going to be like, all right, cool. Well, make America. You remember whenever black people didn't have any rights and oh women could barely vote, and weren't allowed in the workforce, and Native Americans were like totally left out of things. Like you remember those days? Like whenever we just we had lead in our gas and you couldn't see Los Angeles. Like you know, get back to those. It's like we're back. Like are you fucking, like no. Let's just no. make America great. Like it's yeah. a project. It's always been a project. Yeah. It's never yeah. been perfect. That's an awesome way of looking just, at it. Just make it great. Yeah. Keep trying to do that. Don't look backwards, man. Yeah. Looking backwards is what fascists do. Yeah. We had make America great again and America is already great was our two options for that election instead of let's just make America no, great. No, it was make America great again. And then it was like, but why? America's fine. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's like, America already is great. Yeah. yeah that's what she said. It is. Yeah. yeah. It's just funny. Tell that to your average working American. And yeah. They won't agree. She was so out of touch. Clinton was just mm-hmm. like, but I, I noticed that real wages went up by like 0.75%. Isn't everyone rich now? And it was like, dude, how, how divorced are you from the world? <laughs> because I'm from a working class area and I'm yeah. from a farm town and people's lives are still harder. It's like, but, but if we look at the aggregate of 320 million people, things seem mm-hmm. to be going up. It's like, 
God's sakes, I've never seen, I used to joke in my classes that, uh, that, that, that I, I, I said, I'm never going to tell you guys who I'm going to vote for, but I'm going I'm to tell you now, I'm going to vote for the person who wants to change things. <laughs> and it was just a stupid line because everybody says they want to change things. Mm -hmm. And then Hillary Clinton ran. And she was like, oh, you can keep doing the same stuff. It's, it's like, it's, it's cool, right? And I was like, wow. Like, like I, I would say that dumb line. Yeah. Students who were just minorly political aware would laugh and they go, aha, everybody knows you got to say you're going to change things. Yeah. Not everybody. Apparently there was one person who didn't know you got to say that. So. I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. Awesome. All right, we're going to jump to one more uh, break and we'll be back in just a little bit to close this out. If you'd like to be a sponsor for Cheers Podcast or see your advertisement here, please contact us at thecheerspodcast at gmail.com or find us on social media at thecheerspod on Instagram. Okay, awesome. Let's get back into this. Um, I want to thank Dr. Sawyer or Dr. Ben Sawyer for coming out today. Uh, again, we're at Third Curse Comedy. Great place. Come check out. Uh, perfect timing. That's right. Perfect timing. Um, what we're going to do is go ahead and wrap this up. So the first thing I want to do is uh, Dr. Sawyer is going to talk a little bit about how to get into podcasting and how to get into comedy. Um, well, uh, the two separate things, one of which I can uh, give you an, an answer to that will probably not be useful. Okay. The other, which Perfect. I probably can't give you a useful answer because I'm haven't, I don't know that I've actually accomplished it. So the, <laughs> okay. so, so the first one, um, when people ask me, how did you get your, because I, I just start off, I host a podcast called The Road to Now. Mm -hmm. um, it is, uh, it's a regular, like on the iTunes charts and it's been great. We've gone, we've done live events, mm -hmm. you know, with, uh, from Mexico. We went down and did the Avid Brothers at the Beach Festival. Uh, we did the History of Mexico down there. We've had... I mean, just a bunch of different people on. John Hickenlooper, the governor of Colorado, mm -hmm. had Lance Armstrong on the podcast. Yes. Uh, which is kind of, Armstrong's kind of like off the general thing, but we do history, right? Mm -hmm. We talk about history and how it relates to the day, today. Um, and so my, the best advice I can give you is if you want to get a podcast start, um, start it with someone who's already a, a certain degree famous. <laughs> Step one. Step one. <laughs> know someone who already has a pretty big fan base um, and then... Uh, wait till they call you up and say, hey, do you want to do a podcast? And then here's the, here's the big kicker. You have to say yes. You have to say yes to that question. And then, no, because I do it with Bob Crawford from the Avett Brothers, mm -hmm. uh, who's an old friend of mine, all those guys. I, I grew up with Scott and Seth Avett. Um, their, their road guy, their other road manager, Dane Honeycutt. You've heard the story about my class, Dane Honeycutt. Um, one of my good friends. So I've known him, and Bob loves history, and he's got a great mind for it. Um, so he called me up and wanted to do it. So that's, I mean, it's not a particularly useful thing unless you, you know, like that. So step one is know someone famous. But I'll tell you this, the podcast got, it got a good kick from that, mm -hmm. right? But that's not going to sustain you unless the podcast is good. Mm -hmm. So you got to work on it. Like, make it good. Think about it. Listen to your own stuff, right? And that goes for comedy, too. Listen back to yourself. Figure out what you're doing wrong. Figure out what you're doing right. Ask people, uh, ask people who love you for feedback, <laughs> right? Don't go ask them, what did you think? Don't, don't, don't corner your friends and make them listen to it. Yeah. You know? If you have someone with a working relationship where you, where you trust them, right? Uh, for me, it's oftentimes my wife who mm -hmm. is brutally honest because I need someone like that in my life. Um, and yeah, so and it gets better. And so like we got a huge burst whenever we started, but it wasn't for a while until our numbers got to where they are now. We mm -hmm. didn't get advertisers for a year. Um, and even then our first advertiser was Ramser Records which is the manager of the Avids, right? Mm -hmm. And it made, Dolph, Dolph Ramsey's an amazing guy, but he only did it because it made sense, right? Mm -hmm. um, and now we've got another sponsor on, and we just joined the Osiris Podcast Network, which wow. is cool. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. No, it's, there's a lot there. I won't, won't go too much into that, but um, just make it good. Figure out what your thing is, right? 
figure out if you, and, and this is the thing, if you want people to listen to it and you want it to get big, uh, make it something you listen to, mm-hmm. right? Sit down, edit it, edit it closely, right? Do what you've got to do to make it good, make it consistent, engage with the people who listen. Think about people who might be interested and try to uh, talk to them, mm-hmm. right? Uh, to this day, I will still, even though our podcast is super established, right? Mm-hmm. I will go to Twitter and I will just search history podcast recommendations. Mm-hmm. And I will scroll through and people say, I'm looking for a new history podcast. I, as like a professor and the guy who hosts it, and I'm a producer, not an intern. Yeah. I will sit there with the Road to Now account, look at what, and, and say, hey, we'd love it if you, you listen to ours. And I'll look at what they specifically a, a, ask for. You know, I'm interested in this thing. And I'll say, hey, check out this episode. Right? That's commitment. Yeah, and it takes time. And I don't yeah. do it every day. You know? yeah. Like once a week, I'll sit down and do that with four or five people. Yeah. And then you find those people following on Twitter. And then they, you know, you know, you're doing every, every 10 people, every 20 people, maybe you get one of them. Mm-hmm. But then they like it. And they're like, wow, what a cool podcast. I like it. But yeah. also they like, they seem to care. And if, if you don't care, there's no reason to do it. But that's if you want it to be successful. Um, and this is like, I was just talking, well, in terms of popularly successful, right? Yeah. Um, I was just talking to Corey Perry, who co-hosts the, uh, the New Hotness podcast with Chance Willie. Uh, both those guys are hilarious. Perry. Um, and we were talking about it. And, and there's a thing now where, like, there's so many podcasts. It's like almost like a backlash. People are like, oh, these people doing their podcast, Bob. And, and people will be like, oh, good, another podcast. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. here's the thing. I actually, I, I think podcasting even if you're just doing it for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Now, don't do it for yourself and expect that people are going to just care about it, right? Yeah. Think, you have to think about why people want to listen to it if, mm-hmm. if you want to be popularly successful. But I love going on podcasts because here, here's the thing. I've known you for a while, Colton. We're sitting down having a beer on a Saturday afternoon. It's very nice. And we're talking. And we're doing it because you got a podcast, right? Yes. I want your podcast to be successful. Um, but podcasts, they create forums for people to sit down and talk, mm-hmm. get their ideas out, right? They, they, they meet each other. And... You, you know, this thing right here, this microphones, right? This is the reason we've sat here on a Saturday afternoon and had this conversation. Or, or, or better yet, uh, this is why we've sat down here on the Saturday afternoon and I've talked at you for the last <laughs> hour. Um, but, but, you know, I've done with Matt Boyd has a podcast. Um, mm-hmm. I've done a lot of podcasts. And the podcast as a forum, even if it's not going to be hugely successful, it's an amazing way to get people together. And you look like what Chance and, and Corey do on The New Hotness, right? Mm-hmm. They sit down and they push each other to be funny. Mm-hmm. Right, and so they sit down and spend an hour trying to make each other laugh. Well, <laughs> yeah. Like what? Well, they want to be their comics, right? So what they do is they dedicate this time mm-hmm. to sitting down, and and their their minds are spinning. They're working those muscles, right? Or if you're trying to do it because you want to learn things, right? Sit down with somebody. I tell people that um, if you know somebody who you think is really <clears> smart, <throat> and you just corner them somewhere and start asking them questions, you're a stalker. <laughs> but if you have a microphone in your hand, <laughs> suddenly you're a host. Yes. Yes. These things, this thing right here, it creates a justification. It creates a space. It creates a, t- a time where you schedule it. And it, it allows people to talk and get to know each other. And that's why I think that even if you, uh, you know, it's like, oh, another podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, well, is that podcast somebody once a week sitting down and talking to somebody who makes them think? Is it two friends getting together and just talking? And now they've got a podcast, which means we do the thing, you know, when you get older, you, oftentimes you don't make time for people. Mm-hmm. But now I've got this podcast with somebody. I talk to Bob every week. He's one of my good friends. And I you know, not, don't necessarily talk to him every week otherwise, right? Mm-hmm. You're busy in life. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it, it's built our friendship, right? And so that's the thing is I think that when you look at success, if you want to be commercially successful, it's, it's a job, 
you've got to work at it. Yeah. Right? Tons of work to, to get it there. Um, but I think, you know, that there's a lot of ways that podcasts can be successful in terms of friendship, in terms of education, uh, without being popularly successful. So don't feel like if you're going out there, you, anybody goes, oh, another podcast, and you go, oh, you're right, I don't, I don't want to do that. You nerds with their podcast. Who would ever listen? Don't let that stop you, right? If you've got a podcast, even if you just want to go, once a week I'm going to talk to somebody who knows more about something that I'm interested in. Because, like, dude, I'm a busy guy, right? Like, I'm busy. I, I stand up. I, I teach. I got a family. Uh, you know, I got my own podcast. But when you hit me up, I was like, yeah, I'll sit down and talk to you for an hour. Most people and will. I do appreciate it. Most people will. Yeah. Uh, and in a way, it's kind of a privilege that you, and an honor that you like. You have limited number of episodes, and you hit me up. And a lot of times, people go, "Am I bugging that person?" Well, yeah, maybe Mick Jagger feels bugged. He's got a lot of requests. <laughs> but yeah. in the rest of the world, you know, most people love the idea that somebody would want to talk to them about it. So don't you know, approach people. The worst thing that can happen is if you have a podcast and you approach somebody, they say no, and they already weren't on your podcast. Mm -hmm. And after they say no, they're still not on your podcast. Right? Can't get worse. <laughs> Yeah, it can't, it can't get worse. It can't get worse. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to put it. Yeah, so. yeah. But I, I do love your take on podcasting because I know you do have a successful podcast. And anyone listening, please go check out the Road to Now. Not only is it a good uh, podcast filled with great material, but it's also well produced. Um, yeah. I, I love the podcast in general. So you guys are, are really killing it. Um, and other than podcasting, you're also a comedian. How would somebody get started into comedy? Because comedy is becoming such a, a big thing in Nashville and everywhere. Um, yeah, and, and this is coming from someone who, and this is what I told, because I was the, the faculty advisor to the MTSU Stand-Up Comedy Club. Yes. And they were asking me questions. And I said, all right, I'm going to answer your question, but I want you to think of me answering this question as if I were your high school football coach. <laughs> yes, I know this better than you, but if I were really good at this, I wouldn't be teaching at the school. <laughs> right? So, so I've got five years of experience, so I know more than, than mm. like your average person would. Yeah. But, um, I haven't figured out the formula for success. Um, but, but the thing that I, there are a couple of things that I do know and that, I, that I'm fairly certain of. One is just start doing it. I mm -hmm. hear so many people like, I want to do stand-up comedy. Okay, that's great. You have just like writing stuff. Stop. Throw down some ideas, go to an open mic, try them out. Record yourself, listen to it. You've got to do it. You're not, it's like writing. You, nobody just, you know, there are people that start out with a certain level. I hear from students all the time, I'm not a good writer. Of course you aren't, you're 18. Mm -hmm. right? well, why, you're not good at something unless you do it a lot. Um, same thing with stand-up. Go on stage, find an open mic. NashvilleStandup.com has all the open mics. There are open mics Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, always stage time. One Sunday, MK Gannon hosts one at the, at the Cobra. I'm not sure if mm -hmm. that one's still going. Go, write down some ideas, try it out. You're going you're gonna to die on stage probably the first time you do it. <laughs> and if you don't die the first time, you, you're best off if you die the first time. It's good to bomb. Uh, well, here's the thing. You're not going to be good at comedy for a long time. Mm -hmm. And if you have a really good set the first time you do it, your next one's probably going to be terrible. Or your third one's going to be terrible. And you're going to be terrible for a long time. <laughs> and so uh, the, there are like these moments that, that make you in stand-up comedy, at least I've found. There's the first time you do it. Mm -hmm. and there's the first time you bomb. Often times those are the same thing. <laughs> okay. And then about well, maybe nine months to a year in, sometimes earlier, sometimes later, depending on your natural talent or how much you put into it, mm -hmm. you're going to have your first, you're going to kill for the first time. And you're going to walk off stage. And it, it, you know, I mean, I don't know this from experience, but it, it, it's like when people talk about their first hit of heroin. They're like, oh man, it was like everything. Like you walk off stage, your endorphins are pumped. Mm -hmm. You feel you're like, I've worked on this. I've done it. And you feel like I've got this. And oh my, go home and you're just, ah. And now what's going to happen is your next set, you're going to bomb. And you're going to bomb for another three months after that. <laughs> and you should know that, right? Because you don't know mm -hmm. 
and if you're if you're ninety nine percent of the people, the first time you you kill is that you don't know why you did. Yeah. You don't know what you did right. You obviously you throw enough darts, you're going to hit bullseye, mm -hmm. right? Well, you've been throwing darts, and your aim's gotten better, right? You know, like you can go throw darts with somebody, you do it for a couple of weeks, and then you hit a bullseye, and you're like, ah, this is great. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's chance, right? Mm -hmm. that, that's the randomness with, with some work to it. But getting good at it takes, takes time, and so just go do it. Record your sets. Don't just go up there, uh, Don't waste people's time. Don't just go up there and like, well, just start talking. Write down some concepts, things you think are funny, and try it. And, and when you go up there, understand you are not as funny as you think you are. You're not. Everybody thinks they're funny. Oh, yeah, my people. Everybody says I'm hilarious, man. Like, everybody thinks I'm funny, so I should do stand up comedy. Okay, that's great. That's great. <laughs> You're the funny kid in your crowd. Do you understand that whenever you are funny around your friends, uh, say you've been friends with these people for two years, you've got two years of context. Mm -hmm. You can do callbacks to things, right? You go up stage, you've got five minutes. Nobody knows who the hell you are when you go up to comedy. There's no context. So, how do you build the context that makes people laugh, right? Yeah. How do you build your stage persona? I, that, I'm, I'm asking you because I actually I'm not totally sure. Um, <laughs> Don't ask me. Yeah, but but that's the stuff you've got to do and understand that maybe you your friends think you're funny, but you're not probably going to be. You just have to learn how to do it. It takes time. It takes doing it as much as you can. It takes uh, not making excuses to not go up when there's an open mic. Mm -hmm. And it takes recording your stuff. And when you suck, and when you go up there. You walk off stage feeling the death you feel after a bad oh set. Oh, yeah. it hurts. Oh, God. You'll know. You'll know after that because the question when you walk off stage is, are you going to respond and go, oh, my God, I never want to go back on stage again? <laughs> or are you walk off stage going, I'm going to win this. I will get back up there, and the next time they will laugh. That's a, that's a moment <laughs> you have, right? Um, and you're like, I will, fight the, I will fight every crowd. I will make them laugh. Yes. Um, so, so, so do that, right? Like, like go up. Uh, practice it even when it sucks listen to your set because there's reasons why you weren't funny that you don't know when you're on stage mm -hmm. and uh, yeah it's like anything time work everything's work even if you love it it's work my marriage is work love 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 my wife so much man work love my kids so much work love teaching so much it's work you know that everybody can date somebody for six months and, oh, just love them, and then you yeah. find out that they're not yeah Right? Any of that stuff. Anything mm -hmm. that you really are going to commit yourself to is going to become work at some point. You have to know that and you have to put the work in because it is work for a while, but it's still something you love. Mm -hmm. And as you see yourself get better, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in stand-up, whether it's in you know, your writing, any of those things, you will see that work pays off. Mm -hmm. And if you love what you're doing, like it, it, it just makes the work so worth it. Like the whole never work a day in your life thing. It's kind of garbage because, you know, like I walk up in front of the classroom and teach and I'm like, I love it, right? You mm -hmm. don't see the three hours I'm sitting there going, how do I explain this? How do I explain this? How do I explain this? Right? Uh, and, and you don't see that. Yeah. But when I will get through the day of teaching, I feel awesome about it. And that's what I remember. I don't remember the time when I'm sitting there. But you also wouldn't remember me as a professor if I hadn't done that sitting there hating myself trying to figure out how to write that lecture. <laughs> you're probably right. Yeah. yeah, you're probably right. A lot of words from, from Dr. Benjamin Sawyer. <laughs> Do you have any books? Not yet. Ah, no. yet. Okay, well, keep us posted on that. Um, Dr. Sawyer, great advice on all those things. I appreciate you sharing all this with me. I appreciate you being on the podcast today. Um, as I look at podcasters around me, I see you as being one of the more successful ones, um, especially in this area as far as comedians. Um, so don't sell yourself short. Uh, I think you are a great comedian, a great podcaster, a great professor. So thank, thank you. you for coming on. If there's anything you want to plug uh, here at the end for the people who watch, um, please go for it. Well, to the <laughs> viewers at home, 
like to plug multiple things. First of all, um, if you're interested in my stand-up comedy, go to SawyerComedy.com, where you can find out about my dates. There's some clips there. I'm going to put some new clips up. I just got a good video back from a show I did in Huntsville. Um, so there'll be some new stuff up there. Um, so SawyerComedy.com. Uh, in terms of the podcast, you can go to TheRoadToNow.com, where, of course, like everywhere, Spotify, iTunes, blah, blah, blah. I don't know why people say that anymore. It's like, you're just everywhere. It's everywhere. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's everywhere. Yep. Um, but you can get that. We've got a lot of great episodes there. Um, and, you know, I say history. Know that some of these episodes are, you know, we did one with Tom Shadiak, the guy who wrote uh, Dumb and D- uh, no, sorry, Ace Ventura, Pet- <laughs> Ace Ventura Pet Detective with Jim Carrey. That's awesome. And he, he talks about his life mm-hmm. uh, in the stand-up comedy scene in the 80s and moving into writing that script and what it was like to be a director. Because he directed, like, Bruce Almighty. He was, like, the rock star. Whoa. And then he just walked away one day. I know who you're talking about. He was unfulfilled. He has a documentary, doesn't he? Yeah, and he's in... Yeah. Uh, he, yeah, he does. And he's in Memphis now. Yeah. And he's uh, setting up... He set up a climbing, a climbing facility mm-hmm. for, uh, for people who couldn't afford it. And it's one of the, one of the poorest neighborhoods in Memphis. Amazing. Whoa. So go look at those episodes, yeah. theroadtonow.com. And then finally... Um, uh, this fall at MTSU, I'll be teaching History 2020. It's a class that explains everything that happened since 1877 up to the present. And uh, you can find me there at mtsu.edu. Uh, you go to the dynamic schedule, search my classes. Uh, I'll be teaching those classes. And uh, let's face it, you have to take them to graduate. You might as well take them with me. <laughs> Any section numbers? Do you know uh, your section number already? Well, my, my classes are already full for the fall. Oh, so, oh sorry. If you're just watching you this episode. You can get on the waiting list. I'm not sure what section is <laughs> get on the wait list you can stand outside like you're trying to get tickets to the Kanye show um, <laughs> the which Kanye none show. of those parallels actually work Kanye Dr. Sawyer on MTSU's campus might be the same thing that's sad but man, <laughs> I'll be like yeah that's like that's not true yes it is kind of true and that's really anyway so awesome. take my classes come hit me up like if I can help you guys with anything if you're at MTSU you've got any charity events you want to work with look me up uh, I'm always impressed by what students are doing on campus and and and, and consider it a privilege to help with those things as I did with the amazing yes, work that you guys yes did. yes yeah it was awesome um so yeah follow this guy keep up with him online Dr. Sawyer is doing a lot of good things for the community and the world in general so Dr. Sawyer appreciate you coming on man cheers thank you Mr. Andy. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram at Cheers Podcast. Be sure to comment what you'd like to hear from us in future episodes. Thanks for listening.